Prepare for massive assault. Energize and fuse. You become a total machine of energy. Welcome to the Sub Pop Cult Podcast. I'm your host, Michael McGruther. In this episode, I continue my mission of exposing you to new artists, voices, independent creators, and basically doing what nobody on the right dares to do, which is promote artists, because the culture is where the power comes from, and we the people have the power to create the culture. I'm very honored to have a thought leader and an individual who truly is doing the work that needs to be done, the thankless work, you could say, that needs to be done. My guest today is none other than prolific author and the founder of BasedCon, a new convention for science fiction and fantasy writers and fans, Mr. Robert Cruzy. This episode will be extremely valuable for anybody who wants to become a successful self-published author. And by successful, I mean putting a book into the marketplace that matches the corporations, but is independent in spirit and theme and message. We're not in an era where independent artists are going to collect millions and millions and millions of dollars because they're just artistic geniuses. We're in an era of building small, slow steps and inroads into the subconscious of the American people through storytelling so that the culture of our nation is restored to what it truly, truly is, which is a reflection of the people themselves. Our politicians and our news media do not reflect the American people, but independent artists always will. So sit back, get your notebook, you're probably going to want to write a few things down. We share some insight, some tips, some tricks, and we also talk about the future, where things are going, and how we can take control of the power again as independent voices in a free land. It's my great honor to have on the show a prolific writer, a community builder, and somebody who's living the dream and who has a name probably cooler than the biggest movie star in America. Welcome to the Sub Pop Cult Podcast, Robert Cruzy. Thank you, and thank you for pronouncing my name uh, correctly. It, it's uh, pretty much everybody gets it wrong the first time, so I assume that people are going to get it wrong, so it's always nice. It's a nice surprise. <laughs> I well, I did the, I did my homework, and I contacted Trevor, and I said, give me the phonetical pronunciation of this. I don't want to get it wrong. And so, you know, he's, he's got your back. Who, like half the people who know me still pronounce it wrong because they're like, they look at it and they go, Cruzy, that can't be right. He, he must be pronouncing that wrong. And so, and, and honestly, I think I probably am pronouncing it wrong because it's a Dutch um, it's a Dutch name, and uh, I don't think we're, I mean, it's an Americanization of a Dutch name, and so the Dutch wouldn't pronounce it that way anyway, so, so I don't really, I can't well, really say Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise's real name is Maypother, so I think you're much closer okay, to the target. Well, I did not know that. Well, listen, I want to have a personal conversation with you, because choosing to be a writer is not something that I think people do that are serious writers. I think writing chooses you and just doesn't let go. That's just my opinion. And you've had an interesting life story, and you've shared some things publicly. And I know that dramatic events and traumatic things that happened in my own personal life have shaped me and kind of taught me how to tell stories. And 
right now where you're at in your career is you're a successful science fiction writer. You have a following, you have a fan base, you have you can self-fund projects now through your Kickstarter network. You, you've organized a community of sharing the knowledge of how to do this with all these science fiction writers. You're truly like heroically going into the culture battle in a way that is an example for anybody who wants to participate. But before you could do all this stuff, you had to live a little and, and start writing somewhere. And you mentioned online that years back there was probably a split, a divorce, and you had to set part ways with your family, and it was painful and difficult. And I know that that immediately came before where you're at now, if I'm viewing your timeline correctly according to how you share things. And I just want to know if you can elaborate on how that sort of shaped you as a writer. Was it, what were you like before that moment? And then after that moment, how did it affect the way you approach your work so that you can do what you've been chosen to do? So um, this is, I'm going to have to actually have to back up a little bit from, from the uh, divorce and stuff because uh, yeah, nothing with my life really uh, the story doesn't really work out the way you would you would <laughs> you would think or I would have hoped. Um, but so I, I was um, living in when I first started writing seriously. I mean, like you said, I, I mean, I'm a writer. I've always written. I wrote I wrote my first you know I, well I thought of it as a novel, but it was more like a short story in um, like fourth grade um, or second grade. And uh, I just kept this, the teacher gave us this assignment, you know, to write a story. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote and then, and I kept writing and I was like, well, is it time to move on to the other subjects and stuff? And she saw what I was working on. She was like, no, no, you just keep writing. <laughs> so I was like, this is fantastic. I can just, I can just write and get out of all my other work. Um, but it didn't, it didn't work out that way. But, but the point is, is that I, I, uh, I've always written. It's just, it's a kind of a, a compulsion for me. So I was, you know, and I had a, I had a blog before I started writing books um, for a while. And at that time I was, um, so this was 2008 or so. I, I was working in Silicon Valley as a software developer, and I was actually working as a contractor at Google at the time. Um, and so I had a pretty good career um, and a pretty good life. I had a, I had a house that I had um, basically designed myself and had a lot to do with the building of. And nice family. I had two kids. Um, and I, I, I was making good money. Um, and then I decided, you know, I always wanted to write a novel. And so, um, I, in kind of in my spare time, and I had no idea what I was doing as far as writing a novel, but I, I, uh, just basically threw together enough jokes, um, that I hoped that people wouldn't notice there really wasn't much of a story to it. And that was Mercury Falls, my first, my first novel. I self-published that, um, that took off. Um, beyond anything I had hoped for, um, and I got picked up by. It just so happened that ebooks were just becoming a thing at this point. Um, they weren't really. I mean, they were around for a few years, but they were just starting to really take off. And Amazon decided they wanted to get into publishing, um, and they were looking for authors, basically, that they could publish. And they wanted to kind of ramp up quickly, so they didn't want to have to wait for you know somebody to to write a, a novel. So they. they um, grabbed a bunch of us. There were maybe, I don't know, 40 uh, self-published authors who had had some success on our own, and they basically threw a bunch of money at us um, and, and at the, they republished our books. 
you know, with, you know, professional editing and cover designing and, um, and, uh, marketing and all that. And, um, you know, basically tried to make a splash in publishing. Um, and so I sold and, and there was, there was a, a real, um, uh, like I said, eBooks were just getting started at this point. So publishers were overpricing their books, trying to sell their books for the same price that they would get for like the paperback or the hardcover. So Amazon said, well, that's ridiculous. We're going to undercut that a little bit. And then between that and all the marketing money that they were putting, they were throwing at people like me, um, my books and some of the other books that they, they selected, uh, other authors that they had selected for this treatment um, did really well. Um, in fact, I was making, for, for a year or two there, I was making almost as much money writing novels as I was working, as I was making, you know, writing software. And I thought, well, writing novels is a lot more fun. <laughs> so and it's, that's always, that's kind of, I mean, like I wrote software because I was like, well, I got to do something for money. And it's, you know, if you're going to do something, you know, writing software is not bad. Um, but I thought, and then that, that went on for a couple of years um, where I was making pretty good money. And I thought, well, this is kind of the way to go. I'm going to, I'm going to leave the software thing and um, I'm going to write novels instead. <clears throat> and almost immediately <laughs> when I made that decision, it was within weeks that the book's sales started to fall off. Um, and there was a huge kind of bubble in the ebook market at that point with, with a lot of people that, um, you know, trying to, trying to get it in part of the gravy train. And so, um, there was a lot more competition all of a sudden and prices dropped and Amazon decided, well, even we only have a certain amount, you know, so much money we want to, you know, throw at these authors. So we're going to scale back a bit. The upshot of all this is my income collapsed. Um, and so, and, and, and if you said earlier, um, you know, that I, I'm a successful, you know, successful science fiction author, but that's kind of like being, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the best looking person in, in Washington DC or whatever, because it's, it's like, you know, success as a science fiction author is, is not, not like success. It's like, Oh my God, I can, I can pay the rent this month. This is fantastic. I'm just, this is just from selling books. I can actually continue to live and eat. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, the in income collapsed and kind of un unrelated to that. Um, I'd been married for 20 years at this point or almost 20 years and my marriage fell apart. Um, and I ended up having to sell the house that I, you know, I just said that, that I had designed and, and had, it was kind of my dream house that I had, you know, built with, with not by myself, but I did a lot of labor on it myself um, sold the house, had to sell the house, had to sell my car, had to, um, you know, got divorced, uh, went into debt, moved, had to move across the country for my kids, um, because I couldn't afford to stay in California. Um, basically as I, t I tell people, you know, how they have those lists of like the top five or 10, whatever, most stressful things that can happen to you, uh, like in your life. Um, I had like five of those within like a three month <laughs> span. So, um, it was, uh, a challenge. Um, there's, I guess I didn't break, uh, you know, quite, but I, I was close. Um, it was, it was bad. Um, so I, I was, I kind of had to rebuild my life from that point. Um, and so now you, you ask, well, what, how does that change you? What does that make you? 
Um, how does that affect your, you know, your writing? Um, and I mean, you could have, you could have scaled, you could, I could have, have quit. quit. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing is, is that it's, um, I, I had just enough at, at every step of this, even at the worst of it, I had just enough, um, not even success, but encouragement from people who said, you know, you're really good at this, or I really, um, I really appreciate what you did with, with this book or, you know, there was just, it was usually just, just people reaching out to me by email or whatever, and just saying, you know, you have a gift for this and in one way or another. And I thought, you know, I have to keep doing this. Um, you know, and I I even had like, there was another software job that I was, excuse me, there was another software job that I was looking at at one point, um, a year or so into this, uh, you know, after my, my life fell apart and I was on the, I think it was the fourth, uh, phone interview with this company. And I thought at this point, you have four interviews. You're thinking, okay, well, and this is in Portland. I thought that that's at this point, they're just, we're just like, you know, refining the details of like when I'm going to be starting and when I'm coming out and stuff. After the fourth, and then I, then I didn't hear from them for a while, for a few weeks, and then I finally got back to them and said, you know, what's going on with this? And they, they said, oh, we decided to go another direction, whatever. And so I, I was like, you've got to be kidding. And so I'd all, I was that close to getting back into software, and that fell through. And, um, I, and at the same well, I won't go into everything else, but um, it, was, it was, yeah, it was very, very close um, so basically your life got turned upside, upside down, down yeah. which is which is probably a theme in all of your books now between your hero's world getting turned well, upside down. Well, I was going to say, you know, so so what you asked me, you know, how does that affect my writing and I and I don't think it's like the writing itself has had that much of an effect. Uh, it has hasn't had that much of an effect on, but what I will say is that it's it's made me um that much more convinced of the importance of of what I'm doing and uh, the importance of what other storytellers and novelists do. So my my writing comes from something that's in my head that I've always always had, and I and I listen to that thing. Um, and I guess the, what what I'm getting at is that it's all this stuff that's happened to me. It just um, reconfirms the importance of listening to that thing and, and, and using that gift that, that you have. I mean, it's a good, you're, that's a good, excellent piece of advice. It's important that everybody realize that they can craft something out I mean, of I've, this I've, world I've, with uh, I've some never kind of been skill. like one of these, you know, follow your dreams people, because I think that's like, you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a recipe for well disaster in a lot of cases, and just like I mean, you you've got to deal with the realistic, you know, the the figure out how to. I mean, I figured out I always wanted to be a writer, and even when I went to software development, I said someday I'm going to be a writer, but I have to pay the bills, I have to support my family, um, and I want to be able to write what what I want to write, what what's what's in my head. Um, and not have to think so much about like what's going to sell. Um, and so I, I want to have, you know, some kind of financial stability first and then start writing. Um, 
and that, and that plan seemed to be working out pretty well because I was like, oh, I'm going to transition smoothly, smoothly from this like you know professional software thing into the writing, and it's just exactly what I wanted to do. And then God said, no, no, that's not that's not what yeah. we're doing. You've misinterpreted the situation. So, um, well, I mean, your story has to have conflict to be interesting, yeah, and sure. you got it. And so, and you know, and so your your work is perpetually interesting. I want to say that talking to you, I feel like I'm talking to <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Um, he lived very similar to you, uh, you know, had a, a same prolific ability and a, and a real good imagination. And he, his success, you know, the great the great financial windfalls from his book came long yeah. after he passed because, you know, the the movie rights are where the money is, um, and selling copies of books is really hard to do. So you, you know, it's interesting. You're like that guy in real life. And sometimes I wonder about these, you know, heroes that we may have, what was it like to be around them? And I just got to pause and say, I do feel like I'm talking to like the new, well, Philip I don't K. know about Dick, that, so. but he, I, I'm a the, huge fan of, of Philip Dick. And he actually, um, I think he, he, he had, a. A wife or, or ex-wife or a girlfriend that was in Modesto for a while, which is w- very near where I lived in California and, and the, in the Bay Area and stuff. So we, we spent a lot of <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the, in the same places that that he was in. So, but yeah. Well, I have three I have three hardcover volumes of his personal letters, and he was just a fascinating oh, yeah. guy. Even just writing a letter to the light company, <laughs> very interesting guy. So. Yeah. So now I, there's a saying that I heard about writing a long time ago, which is, and I don't know who said it, but to paraphrase is show me somebody who observes the world and I'll show you a writer. Like, when did you know, besides that school time when you just couldn't stop writing, when did you really know that you were a writer? Not that I want to write a book one day, but that you were like, this is what I am. And I'm, you know, there's no you know, denying it. I don't think, I, I think we all have kind of this, um, imposter syndrome to some extent and you don't really believe it i didn't really believe it until i had people um it was when i self-published my book i remember the the first book mercury falls and i had strangers online pre-ordering this book from me um and i thought these people are not these these people are not buying this because they're friends of mine and they're not just and they're they're not just like bored on the internet and, and reading a blog post they're putting and it wasn't a lot of money but it was like they're they're putting their money forward to say you know here I would like to have a story from you and that just kind of blew my mind and it wasn't a lot of money it wasn't a lot of people but it was like I had uh, you know a handful of people who, just people I didn't I'd never met and they said, we're willing to pay you. And so people say, you know, it's not about the money, but money, money is the way that people express that they, that, you know, that something is valuable and that's worth their time and worth their effort because they work for that money, you know? And it's like, you don't want to give your money away to, to somebody who's not going to give you something worthwhile for it. So you, that's when you know, you know, that, that it's, that you're, that's valuable to them. And so, um, that was what, that was a big point. Well, it's not about the money. Uh, it's not about the money doesn't really imply that you can't make money. It's just saying that it's not about the gross collection of money through, you know, squeezing out your competition or, you know, you're not, you're obviously not about the money. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing this. This is a, you know, this is a middle-class low rent way to be 
using your skill and doing what you want to do with your time while you're alive and at the same time connecting with people and giving people something great. I mean, it makes your whole existence worthwhile compared to doing something like Joe versus the volcano in a, in a booth somewhere. You know what I'm talking about in a little cubicle. So um, I just think it's important that people remember that because what I do with Sub Pop Cult is I try to keep people to aim for where you're at, not to aim for the it's all about money thing because that gets Mm -hmm. everybody in trouble, ruins their artistic integrity. And honestly, it just kills our potential to grow a new culture that you're already growing yourself. So I think it's important to remember that sometimes. um, I mean – if you are the sort of person who is just motivated by money and, and, and material things, then I suppose that's a, that's a good way to go to focus on that. But generally you're probably not going to be the kind of person who's a, who's really a writer anyway, you're going to be, you know, a stockbroker or whatever, uh, you know, fi- financial speculator or something. Um, so if you, so you've got to, you've got to focus on, on what matters to you. And I will, I mean, I like, I, I will take, a month and go just read about, I don't, you know, I was reading about, um, like past lives and reincarnation and stuff for a while. Um, just because I was like, someday I'd like to write, I'm going to figure out how to write a, a book about this, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like I, t- I was going to tap into the big reincarnation past lives market. It's like, that was not what I was in my, my mind <laughs> or like a while back I was reading, I wrote a series about Vikings Viking about um, basically Vikings building a spaceship is the is the is the elevator pitch, um, and so I, I read I mean I don't know how many books about Vikings, um, and again I mean Vikings are kind of big right now, but it wasn't like I, I was like I'm going to tap into the Viking market. It was like no Vikings are what is it about Vikings that are so cool you know and why do we why are we so interested in them why you know hundreds of years later that's still, there's still this kind of mythical romantic feeling about about vikings and what what were they all about you know and so you have to be you have to have that interest and that drive in your mind and 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 allow yourself to pursue those things um knowing that maybe it'll go nowhere and that's just all you're ever going to get about this is a lot of useless trivia in your head about Vikings. <laughs> you're not going to make a lot of money. But it's time, I mean, but it's time well spent. I mean, if you find something that's interesting to you, it's, um, it's part of a story that's going on in your imagination. And then you're absorbing all this, all these details and, and you know, other parts of inspiration you're getting from history. You could, you could be online you know, retweeting angry, angry political things, or you could be doing any other waste of time, but well, instead of using your I time in that way. <laughs> yeah, but you're not that, you're not, you're so limited. Yeah. It's, you have very pointed comments and they always have, they're always really good. Thanks. So it's not like you're uh, firing at the hip with I know, a six I always, gun. I feel you know? like I should, well, I, I'm always split, you know, it's like I get, I get frustrated about things and, and furious about things. And then I'm like, I always end up like, yeah, no, there's a, there's a better use of my time than this, but yeah, so I, I try to stay, stay out of it, but every once in a while I get pulled back in and well, we all do because it's fun, but it's just not, um, it's not a fair fight. So right now it's just yeah. a waste of our time. If there were two sides that really had some power and some different team making things, then it'd be a blast, but it's just a trap for our side. So I just try to avoid it. And that's why I'm highlighting the way you spend your time researching. Cause I do the same thing. And I know a lot of random facts about physics because I wrote a screenplay about breaking the speed of light. And I, I did all this research, but man, it's so much more rewarding to absorb things and 
contemplate the mysteries of life uh, instead of the other stuff, which yeah, is I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of great because so, it's like I I get to call all this stuff research. You know, I mean, I took I took two trips to Europe and wrote them off as research. You know, <laughs> with with no guilt because I was researching stuff about about Vikings and you know, uh, it's it's fantastic. So it's like just it's like life experience um, is you know it's part of the job, you know, and you, you want to be able to experience things. And so you, yeah, I mean, whether it's, it's just reading or it's traveling or whatever. Um, yeah. Make the most of it. I mean, it's Norman Mailer was known to be that way. So is, uh, the, you know, the, the author of the harder they fall, Bud Schulberg, he would go and, and hang out with all the pro boxers mm-hmm. and even, even screenwriters, even, uh, the guy who wrote for the twilight zone and he wrote, uh, uh, I am legend. I can't remember Madison, his name, Richard yeah. Matheson. Uh, I don't know if you saw Spielberg's like first kind of TV movie called duel, where it's literally just a truck chasing down a car on the back Nevada highways, you know, trying to ki- try to run the car off the road. But, uh, Matheson talked about taking that drive multiple times back and forth before he wrote it and just picking up the landmarks and whatnot. So I think it's important. People realize how much time goes yeah. into what you do. And, and that a lot of people don't understand a writer's time. You know, I'm married. I have my daughter and wife are here and they, they get it now. I've been able to communicate it, but most of the time I'm just taking a nap. That's what it looks like. <laughs> I'm just time for another nap. Like, what am I doing? I'm just thinking yeah, I'm through a, something. I'm a champion napper. So it, I love naps. Like I can't, I can almost not get through the day without a nap because I just get to a point where I'm just like, yeah, it's like, you just have to take a moment to kind of just recover. And then I get, I can push through the rest of it. <laughs> but yeah. Love I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful life. If you can write stories and then take naps and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can't I mean, complain. I mean, I, that's, I, uh, sometimes, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, make the mortgage payment or whatever. So there's a little bit of, uh, worry there, but yeah, no, other than that, it's, it's, it's a pretty good life. I can't complain. So speaking of the mortgage payment, let's talk about this corner that I think is being turned now. And, uh, you started an organization, you just had your second, um, event it's based con where you have all these, you know, based writers, basically anybody who's going off the corporate pop culture is based these days. And, uh, you know, you've been gathering writers and having conferences and sharing skills. Uh, what motivated you to start this important thing, this important project called BaseCon uh, that you began? What what started that going in your well, mind? Well, it started a few years ago. Um, well, to back up a little bit, they um, I used to have a lot of fun going to, to these sci-fi cons and other, like, writer conferences and stuff. But um, in the last five years or so, maybe a little longer, um, they all started getting taken over by these kind of pod people, um, the social justice warriors, um, the pronoun people. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have nothing against people. I mean, sci-fi, the great thing about sci-fi is that we've always welcomed weird people, people who don't fit in, you know, people who are transgender or gay or whatever race or culture or, you know, male female we don't care like just weirdness is fine with us and it's always been that way and now there's a sort of retconning of the of that or it's like oh you you've you know marginalized these people that's not the case i mean it's sci-fi as as far as i know has always been very open and welcoming but 
in the last you know few years, we've had like everything else, it's gotten taken over by these kind of social social justice warriors who want to improve things. They want so everybody now has to have their their pronouns on a name tag, and it's almost not really a choice anymore. And it's like everybody has to kind of toe the line ideologically, and everybody has to be a sort of um, you have to you have to mouth the, the the right talking points. And if you were to say. Um, walk through one of these conventions. So it's like, where it's all about openness and acceptance and, and all this stuff. But if you were to walk down a convention floor with say a Trump hat on a MAGA hat, um, I, I would fear for your safety. Uh, literally. I mean, you would be, you, you'd be in danger, physical danger. And you, you would most, at the very least you would get kicked out of the con. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, and whatever you feel about Trump, I've never been a big fan of Trump myself. I think it's, it's, he's, his rise and kind of ascendance to the presidency and all the insanity that ensued. It was hilarious. <laughs> I think it was amazing entertainment. Uh, and I don't think he was any worse than any other, uh, any other president and actually did pretty, pretty well on a number of fronts. And there's something to be said to have somebody who's a little bit, you know, a little crazy in the office, um, but not too crazy. And I think he, he was right in that, right in that, um, that, that area. And so, uh, anyway, without going off on Trump, um, I, I, I think that, um, there's, it's really not about, um, acceptance or tolerance. It's about conformity and, you know, towing the line ideologically. And that's the opposite of what science fiction and fantasy is supposed to be about. So a few years ago, a couple of other authors and I were kind of talking about throwing back to, around this idea of we should have like we wanted to have like a more like a support system and like a um, a way to for us to learn from each other as far as writing and marketing and everything that goes into being a, a, a writer. And uh, so I started talking about this online, and people and you know I was like, if I put this together, would people um, you know be interested? Um, and people were responding, you know, very positively. And a lot of people who were, weren't writers, who are fans, readers said, well, what if a, a, you know, a non-writer wanted to come to this thing? And I said, that'd be fine. That'd be great. I mean, why not? Um, uh, the more the merrier. So let's, and so then I, I, I posted, I, I kind of, um, I did a, a survey and I started building an interest list and I got, I don't know, a hundred or so people who are interested in this and seemed, you know, you never really know because it's just like, it's very easy again to, for people to say, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So, so I, it got to the point where I was fairly confident I, I had enough people to pull this off. So I actually got, I went, I found this, um, basically a big house, um, here in, I'm in Michigan and this is, this place was in a little town called Norton Shores, which is very near Lake Michigan. Um, just this big kind of sprawling house, the nice backyard and kind of a stage area and stuff. Um, and I rented this place, put a deposit down on it. And then I, you know, emailed people and said, Hey, you know, this is happening on such and such a date and it's going to cost this much. And, you know, if you're interested in coming, you know, I set up a, a, a form on the website and everything. And I thought, and I, and like I said, my financial situation is I get by, I'm not a, I'm not a wealthy man. <laughs> so I put down, you know, I put a deposit on this place on my credit card and was like, this may just be more credit card I, debt that I have to end up paying. And I figured we needed, I needed to get 30 people signed up to this thing to break even. And then I was going to be, I, I would, wouldn't be out any money. Well, 
we hit 30 people, you know, in a couple of days and then it went to, you know, 50, 60, 70. Um, I, I finally cut it off at 75 because I wasn't sure how many people, cause this is the first time I did this and I didn't know how, you know, I was never managed the sci-fi con before and I wasn't sure what the capacity of this house was. Um, so we, we, we locked it down at 75. Um, and we did it that it was, uh, end of or middle of September last year. And, um, it was a blast. It was fantastic. I mean, I was running around like a crazy person because I didn't know what I was doing and I was trying to keep things on schedule and make sure everybody had enough to eat and everything. And so I barely slept the whole weekend, but it was amazing. We had, um, a bunch of authors, um, just, you know, uh, Travis Corcoran, who's a, a, a Prometheus Award-winning um, sci-fi author. We had Hans Schantz. Um, I'm going to forget half the, half the people. We had um, Rachel Fulton Brown, who is a professor at the University of Chicago, who is a really, uh, really interesting person to talk to. You should have her on sometime. Um, and she kind of representing the sort of – she talked about Tolkien and fantasy and stuff. And, so, and it was just like the whole – the whole weekend was just, it was a lot of fun. It was a blast, just great people um, hanging out and listening to a lot of really cool presentations. So I did it again this year and it was even bigger and even better. And we had um, kind of a last minute edition of John Carmack, who is, um, if you don't know who he is, he's, he's uh, kind of a legend. He's kind oh, of a legend in like three different fields. Uh, so he's he's he he's the guy who who basically did the coding for Doom um, back in the whatever that was um, early nineties or whatever. Um, so he's and he's big into artificial intelligence. Had his own aerospace company. He's an incredibly uh, intelligent, like one of the smartest people. Uh, like on the planet <laughs> right now, I was going to say smartest people I've ever met, but that's downplaying it quite a bit. He's a really, really smart guy and a really nice guy. Um, and he just kind of out of the blue said, you know, like I'd mentioned half jokingly, like what's it going to take to get John Carmack to come to BasedCon? Um, and he ended up showing up. And so we put him on some panels and it was fantastic. Um, so him and, and it was even, it was, um, I think significantly better than the first year. And the first year was pretty damn good for a, for a first year convention. So we're going to do it again, obviously next year around the same time. Well, I want to say congrats on that. And I will say that I, I, I am quite familiar with John Carmack. I've read masters of doom. As a matter of fact, as soon as it came out, I contacted my agent at Gersh and I said, I want to write that <laughs> screenplay um, because I just loved what they did. But I do think that he's on pair. He, he's like on par with mm -hmm. Elon Musk as far as, the innovative way that they think and solve problems. Um, but I just want to go back to something that I think you'll find hysterical, which is this image of somebody going to an old fashioned science fiction convention, not an old fashioned one, a new woke one with the Trump hat and just getting the shit kicked out of them on an escalator by characters mm -hmm. from pop culture. Like to me, that's just like, that's so absurd to me that you could just see, you know, can you imagine like link from <laughs> Zelda is, well, kicking your face in because yeah. of your politics and you know batman comes right. and starts and it's punching only you gonna be, it's they're all you know like a hundred pounds overweight and and it's not like these are these are particularly um intimidating people wonder woman looks like wonder bread woman <laughs> right. when you see her there but but you know you get 10 of them on you and it's gonna be you know it doesn't matter how fit you are you're gonna have a hard time but i mean i'm not like again i'm not exaggerating it's it, there was a guy uh, Dave Truesdale, um, at Worldcon, uh, 
I don't know, three or four years ago now, he, he was on a panel and he literally made the point, uh, he kind of, he went off topic on the panel. That was his sin. But he, um, he at the panel, he said, I want to talk about how like people are over, overly sensitive and how people are like, you know, pearl clutching and, and, you know, snowflakes and stuff. And he kind of went on a little diatribe for like two minutes, just talking about how he needs, you know, people need to chill out and not be so, um, you know, overly sensitive about things. Um, and like one of the other panel members turned their back on him, like literally was like, like facing away from them in, in the panel. And then, um, and he recorded this thing because I think he knew what was going to happen. They ended up kicking him out of the con and that like, that was oh my gosh, that was it. I mean, that was, that's the whole story. There's like, there was no, there was no, it wasn't like he stood up and like called people, you know, the N word or something. He, he didn't do anything. All he said was people are too, uh, you know, being too easily offended, we need to, you know, just calm down, basically. Um, and the and the the panel was like it went on, like so he recorded the whole thing, so there was no, there's no doubt about what happened. There was just it was it was a perfectly, you know, other than the guy turning him back on him and and some people being a little bit put out. There was no violence or yelling or profanity or anything, but they decided because he didn't toe the the orthodoxy of the social justice. Um, he had he had the temerity to say you know people need to not be offended so easily. They kicked him out and they I think they actually banned him from for life from the stupid con. Like can you imagine just the the mindset that 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 takes to, to be that intolerant of of another viewpoint and just, and a fairly benign viewpoint like just not not anything even particularly offensive just and that's that kind of thing. Um, and a lot of other, those, those kind of, you know, th that's what made me think these, these, these sci-fi cons and sci-fi fandom, uh, in general is just a lost cause and we need to start over. Well, well said. And I think that it just confirms that what you're doing is of, of vital importance because your work, like, like the, uh, there's a certain point where you have to go easy on the cultivated audience that just lines up for the products they're given and they just absorb them, take them in. And you, and then you got to recognize that people who have a more independent, let's say for sake of just easy description, a libertarian type voice, um, aren't allowed to tell stories in the popular culture. So the popular culture, which is corporate cultivates all the wrong qualities in people to just basically create consumers for life. The same thing, the new prime minister of Italy just said, I've been saying it on my podcast all year. And that's why it's so important. What you're doing is because this, you've got like a front. Now you've got something where you're getting people who have some weight and artists who want to help each other, recognizing that this is the battlefield that you too can grow the audience and get the audience to have the same values that enable a more reasonable approach to being, you know, fellow citizens at a convention where the, the default isn't to kick somebody out because they said, you know, let's get along. It's almost like they're going to have crosses lined up and anybody who says anything is like instant crucifixion, nail them to the cross for the rest of the show, make an example out of them because it's, um, it's absolutely ridiculous. So they're crushing their business yeah. model. It's imploding. And here you come and you're on year two and it's a bigger success. So what's the dream? Like where, where do we go from here? Is, is there going to be a day where BaseCon is at a big, huge convention center in Michigan? And it's like the place to be because it's the, it's the independent thought group of artists. Uh, Cause that's what I want to see. Know, I, I really don't, um, 
I don't know because it's going to depend on, I mean, the idea of course is to affect the culture and to, um, to push things beyond base con. I mean, it's great to come together for a, a weekend and with a bunch of like-minded and we're not even necessarily like-minded other than the fact that we're not intolerant assholes, <laughs> you know, they're all nice people. Um, but we have a lot of different, you know, points of view and people argue and stuff, but it's like, anyway, we, it's, it's great to have the, that group of people come together and be able to, to talk about sci-fi and the culture and stuff. But ideally we, we want it to go beyond that. Right. I mean, the whole idea of being a writer, being a creator is you want your ideas out there in the culture. Um, so it's going to depend on how successful we and other people, um, who are doing similar things are in, in, uh, in, um, influence, influencing the culture because ideally based con wouldn't be necessary, right? Because 20 years ago you had sci-fi cons that were just sci-fi cons that anybody could go to. I mean, maybe I'm idealizing the, the past a little bit, but the point is, no, it was neutral. It was neutral. There was no real political agenda in our entertainment. Um, not yeah, too long. Yeah, I mean, at least it was. There was at least a a, a facade or a, or a kind of a general. I mean, I'm sure that there were there, there were people who would try to shut you down or but it would have been a lot harder because there was kind of a, an assumed neutrality. So it wasn't it wasn't immediately assumed because it's all that's what the thing is. It's all it's, this is all groupthink. It's all like I know that I can you know, call somebody a Nazi and a bunch of other people will back me up because we all um, think of the same people as Nazis. And so it doesn't matter if there's any truth to it. We're, these people are going to back me up because it's, you know, we're, they're part of the board. Um, but anyway, well, they know they have the, they know they have the right, wind at their right. back. Uh, and so there's going to be a moment where that's no right. longer there. And, and I think we're, ra- we're rapidly approaching it and it's going to be hysterical. So, yes. And, and, and that's the idea. I mean, so hopefully based on, I mean, I, it'll probably continue for, I mean, I've got, I've sold lifetime membership, so I'm, I'm, I'm de- dedicated to, I have to keep this thing going one way or another and I'm, I'm happy to, but ideally it wouldn't be necessary. Um, or ideally, ideally it would be more, I mean, I don't think it's it's never it's never going to be Dragon Con. It's never even going to be like Liberty Con. Draw back the attention to just your writing that I I've got my first copy of of one of your books because you know there's not enough time in the in the day to read as many things as we'd all like to read. So I got this book, Starship Grifters, and I noticed immediately that you know there's a a little bit of backstory we're being given by the narrator, who's this assistant of the hero. Um, talking about how when artificial intelligence in the form of robots, the minute it has a individual thought that's off the norm, off the programming, when it becomes a little bit sentient, it's melted down into slag immediately. That metaphor right away is exactly the way that the culture can be taught how to identify the value of, of free speech and why it's important. And so you show that it's like you have a, an original thought, and the system kills you right away. That's a subversive way to tell a great science fiction story and also communicate to people values without saying, like, um, pointing fingers and saying, these people are communists, they're silencing us. Like, that wins nothing. But you can win people over with this kind of creative storytelling. Does that make sense? um, Well, it's funny because that book in particular was one that I wrote when I... So the Mercury books, I had written, I think, two of those before 
I, I wrote Starship Grifters, and those were very much um, kind of humorous books too, but they deal with some more uh, kind of serious issues as far as, uh, you know, good and evil and free will and, and all that kind of stuff, free will and determinism. Um, so Starship Grifters was my attempt to write a book that was just complete, just zany chaos um, and just just humor and jokes and stuff. And I, I just wanted to have this, this insane character who, who would do um, like the most, the nuttiest and most horrible thing you could think of in any, any situation. And then he's got this long suffering um, robot sidekick who is the narrator, which who you were just talking about. So it's funny um, that you should, <laughs> that you should mention that as like an example of um, like, sort of giving communicating an idea to people because that wasn't what I was trying to do at all, but I can totally see it now. Um, because I think that that's in the back of my head. I always have that, um, that, um, obsession with, um, freedom, uh, versus conformity and, and compulsion. Uh, and, and it all, it always comes out in one way or another in my books. There's, there's a, and I, whether I try to or not, there's always this, this theme of kind of the individual freedom and individual, um, conscience. Um, and yeah, it's, so it's, it's not something that I, it's not a message I put on my book. I, I do very little like preaching, um, but it informs my book. And then hopefully on the other end, the reader doesn't take it as, preaching or he's he's trying to get across this idea but it gets into their head and they start thinking yeah you know the value of the individual and the value of of you know doing your own thing or um of doing the right thing um and just despite you know the what the crowd wants um so yeah it's um it comes back to kind of that voice in my head that that has something that it wants to say um, and one way or another, it gets to the to the reader and gets gets inside their head. Hopefully, well, the, I think the key word you just said is theme. It's a theme going through your imagination, and it's a theme going through the kind of values you have as a person. And you don't have to preach. You don't have to hit the nail on the head. Just thematically, it comes out. And why this is important is because there are professionals in the business who can tell what a theme is. And they eliminate this theme from the national storytelling hodgepodge of choices. And so you never chose to try and be a classically published author, did you? Uh, I made a very kind of brief abortive attempt. To, I, I, I submitted Mercury Falls to a few publishers and got a few, or agents actually, and got a few rejections. And then I thought, I got, I mean, maybe three or four rejections. And that, it's, it's pretty normal to get, you know, 20 or 30 rejections. Um, like, I don't know how many people rejected, uh, Harry Potter before JK Rowling finally got, got published. Um, so it happens to, to everybody. Um, I, for me, I don't like people saying no <laughs> to me. I don't like being rejected. So I was like, you know, I understand there's another way to do this. And if I, if there's a way that I can do something where I have control over it, I mean, like I told you, I built my own house. Um, I do, you know, I learned software development on my own. Um, you know, I, I do, if there's a way that I can do something myself, just using my own brain power, my own willpower, I will do that because then I have control over it. And then I know, um, I know I can trust that the person who is doing this is going to put a hundred percent into it because, um, 
you know, if you get a publisher, people think, oh, I get published and then they're going to handle the marketing for me and they're going to handle the, the cover design and they're going to do all this professional, make the best possible choices in every arena. And so I won't have to worry about any of this stuff. And that's not at all what happens. They, half the time they pick a terrible cover that doesn't represent your, your book. They do, they do no marketing. Um, you know, they, 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 they make bad editing choices or, you know, they, they put you in the wrong genre. Um, there's all kinds of things that publishers do wrong. Um, at this point, unless you really, really hate the idea, if you're a writer or an aspiring writer and you want to write a novel or have written a novel, unless you really hate the idea of business, um, of any kind of, of selling or, or managing the publishing aspects, I would not recommend going to a traditional publisher. I would recommend doing it yourself. Um, if, unless there are some people who just don't want to deal with it at, at all and they just want to publish it, forget about it, um, write the book and forget about it, give it, a, give it to a publisher. Um, and for those people, traditional publishing might still be the way to go. But for anybody else, I would say self-publishing is the way to go because you're probably going to, you're going to be more successful and make more money and you have a lot more control I mean, that's the, that's the big problem, though, of course, is that if you fail, it's your fault. <laughs> you don't have anybody to blame. Well, I mean, it's definitely a shifting game now because you have well-known authors that have recently self-published. And there was, there was a perception not too long ago when you got into the game that that wasn't real publishing yeah. yet. And I even had, you know, I would even run into young writers before I self-published my first book. And I would say, why don't you self-publish it? And they'd be like, that's not a real book. And I'm like, that's... Yeah. That's silly. So, so I think the, the we're at that inflection point where it's all changed now. And so you've been on the ground in this for a long time. And so perhaps the themes, the proper themes, when enough people who have the ability to create and who do listen to that voice inside their head and do spend their time doing the right things, I think the theme is going to change and then the culture changes with it. Uh, and so, you know, you're at the you're at the front of that train with really, I think the only kind of free minded, free thinking, crafty based, uh, convention for people who like science fiction and fantasy. Uh, and so I think it's going to have a huge impact. I know that I had previously, previously asked you like, you know, where's it going to go? Um, but I know you value the smallness of what you're doing because you can share, you know, intimate crafty, to, you know, there's for people who don't write, there's like little things like just for example, everyone's got these things about, you know, uh, how to end writer's block. Mine is I tell people arrange things in real life because writing is arrangement. And so if you're all blocked up and you can't arrange the words go clean your house and then suddenly the brain opens. Right. So little things like that you can share with each other in person and strengthen the ability to fight this fight, which is you know, the happy warrior is the guy who sits down and puts out a science fiction novel. And, uh, inside that is the right theme. So I just want to say that I, I really, I'm glad that I'm getting to know you and, and I'm excited for you because I feel like it's going someplace that we don't really, none of us can tell, but I think it's going someplace yeah, good. Well, someplace. Well, like I, I was saying originally, um, it, this started off as kind of a, like an, an author's get together. I mean, that was the idea behind it. And now it's it's growing. At the, the next one, we're probably going to have a hundred or more people, um, which is still very small for for a sci-fi con. But but um, it's great for a third third year of this thing. Um, but it's getting to the point where, or it's soon going to get to the point where it's more of a 
it's not, it's not going to have that small group feeling anymore. So I, I do very much want to, one of the ideas that I've been floating is having like a pre con, which is sort of like the professional track so that authors can get together for a day or two before the con to kind of do the sort of shop talk kind of stuff that you're talking about as far as, you know, the mechanics of publishing and writer's block and, you know, whatever else and, and, you know, uh, marketing and all that kind of stuff. So we can do that kind of nitty gritty stuff. Um, and then the con itself will be a little bit more, um, you know, public facing kind of with, with more stuff that's less, um, writers. Cause right, right now that we, we have a, if you look at the, 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 the if you go to basedcon.com, I still have the, the schedule from this, this past con that we just had a few weeks ago. And it's kind of a mix of stuff for writers and just kind of general interest stuff. And it was fine. Everybody was interested in it, but, but realistically, um, everybody, everybody went to most of the, the, the panels and, and enjoyed them and learned some things. But a lot of those people don't really have any interest in writing, per se. They just want to be there as fans, so they're, being, they're, they're just you know, supporting it. So it would be nice to kind of split that into two tracks um, and then still have the kind of small group feeling um for you know different different groups and then uh um you know we'll, we'll have to see it's going to be we're, we're actually moving to a hotel for the, the third year because this little um venue that we had is is bursting at the seams so we can't um we can't we can't uh, have it there anymore but uh then yeah so it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things grow and how i definitely want to maintain kind of that small core group feeling but also kind of expand and find ways to again expand push our ideas out into the world and um and make it so that ideally based con is not necessary yeah well it's always going to be fun because people like to get together and and share stuff like that but you really you know you're you're like um you've organized people in the same way that uh lewis and tolkien used to hang out at the white white horse i believe it was called and talk to each other and egg each other on about stories to write and whatnot. So it's fascinating stuff, and it's really necessary. It's never going to be not necessary yeah. because look, look what the look what the other side has, and and also this is hard to do. You need to have, we need to have like a million Robert <laughs> you know. No, no, really. I, I, I mean, I mean that. I mean, look, everybody runs around. You, you, as soon as you get to a certain point in California, everybody's got a screenplay. Yeah. They all want to be a screenwriter. But everybody else has a novel inside them, and it is something that as Americans, we've never really had a culture that supported each other. You know, it's always been tied to corporations and big companies and book deals. And, like, this is mm -hmm. a new thing where it's more valued. You know, I see pictures of all, you know, old towns from a long time ago. And the local guy's honey was the, everyone used it and everyone got that stuff. Yeah, we have a guest. This is, this is Phaedra. She's very much... Uh, she, she, she nice. She's giving me that. She's giving me the real view. <laughs> oh, sorry. She's putting her, putting her butt right <laughs> in. She doesn't care. She just comes wherever that's my hysterical. hands are. That's where she wants to be because she knows she gets, she gets lovings. Who don't you? So I, so I see from small towns, you know, that there's like products that were in the 50s and the 40s and they were locally made. And you, you sort of see them get uh, replaced over time by, you know, yeah. mass produced food, grocery store life, all that. 
everything recently collapsed in the last few years, and the new generation, the young people that are picking up your books online, they're crafty, and they like to do things like hone in on, you know, I want to be great at roasting coffee, or I want to be great at leather work, or I want to be great at this. They're really crafty, and so we're returning to that time of smallness and American craft made things. And so craft stories, individual indie books, uh, is absolutely the way to go. And the more we can grow it, the better we'll yeah, off. We'll you all you be. hit on two important things there. One, one of which is the, yeah, the sort of, um, trying to get away from the sort of big corporate model. Um, and that's going to be a big challenge, um, over the next few years, because people like me, um, because of Amazon's dominance are very dependent on Amazon, which is in the beginning, it was very cool because Amazon totally upended the publishing industry and actually made it possible for people like me to do this thing. So I'm actually very grateful, um, to Amazon, but now we're in this position where it's like, we're kind of all playing on Amazon's, um, reservation. So it ideally we would not be so dependent on them because, so far, you know, they've given us, you know, quite a bit of freedom. But, you know, if Amazon starts acting like PayPal or whatever, you know, locking people down because of their uh, political beliefs, that's a problem. So we need to figure out strategies for, uh, we need to band together and have alternatives. And it may take a while. It may take, you know, five, ten years. But we need to have ways around that. Um, so Amazon doesn't have this, this uh chokehold on us. The other thing is young people. Um, I'm getting old. My, I don't, I don't know how this happened, but I'm 52 years old now. Um, and so I'm kind of, you know, uh, I'm not a young man anymore. And we really need to have young people, um, getting into this, getting into writing and getting into this sort of based culture and getting out of the corporate entertainment complex and I think a lot of them are. They're just tuning tuning out, you know, the, the Marvel stuff and Rings of Power and whatever the last the corporate stuff that's because it's just so it doesn't it's not really fun anymore. Um, and the fun really is there is a lot of uh, fun. Uh, we have a very fun group. Um, and we have a lot of crazy uh, crazy ideas and a lot of really interesting stuff going on. But reading is kind of not a lot of young people read now and not a lot of young people. Well, I think we we're, we might need to get into uh, TV, movies, uh, animation, other comic books, maybe uh, other, other um, formats and, um, to reach, to reach people. Um, and I, I want to try to do more outreach to young people for the next base con um, because, you know, um, people like my generation aren't going to be around that much longer, so we need to have... Well, I want to say something about your, you know, you had successfully got John Carmack mm-hmm. to come, and he's on the Oculus board. Um, I don't know if this was talked about or if you can share it with anybody now that the convention's over, but um, I believe, as somebody who owns an Oculus that that is the future of storytelling. I've sat through multiple iterations of stories told to me using various ways that that technology works, where once I'm like sitting in the middle of a rainforest and I'm being told a Native American tale from, you know, it's like I have to turn all around. Characters are all around me and you fly through space with them and everything. Um, Or just imagine being 
the robot in one of your books. And, you know, there's a, a way to experience story that's mm-hmm. changing. Was that on the conversation? Because that's where all the young people are going. That's where that's where the corporations are trying to dominate and squeeze out anybody else from having that space when really it should be a, a space for independent artists because you can create a, a, an immersive version of your story um, and it just feels like nobody's talking about that. Uh, but I feel like that's, that's where it's all going. <laughs> this is this stupid cat showing, showing your butthole again. Um, the, <laughs> you should stop. This cat just rocks right b- back and forth in front of me all the time. So you are impossible. Um, yeah. No. Well, it's not a film. Show, yeah. So no worries. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. Um, yeah, you know, we didn't really talk about that at the last base con. It sounds like we, that's a good idea. It sounds like we need to get you and John Carmack and some other people to uh, come and do some panels at the next at the next base con because, yeah, um, that's that's going to be a big a big thing. Um, the VR experience and just other the way that young people interact with media and storytelling is foreign to me. Um, I grew up in a time when, I mean, we had the Atari 2600, you know, which was awesome. We had video games, video game arcades and stuff. Um, and uh, like I had, you know, had a, had a personal computer at a very young, a- young age, but we were very much in a reading, um, I mean, people read for fun and I don't, it's sad to me, but I don't think that that's happening as much anymore. And I think that we need to, we need to f- one way or another meet people uh, where they are at people in their twenties and thirties and, and even younger than that, maybe. Uh, well, the important, the important thing you're saying about your generation, and I, I have to interrupt you and say this is you come from the generation that I come from, which is generation mm-hmm. X. And we were the first generation to be given smart toys, toys that we could manipulate yeah. through programming. You know, there was Raggedy Ann and then our generation. And we got like the, the little truck. You could program it and make it take a left and a right and go, you know, that was, remember the commercial? Um, I can't remember what it was, but you program the truck and you can make it go into the kitchen, take a right, bump your mom, <laughs> scare the hell out of her, come back, you know, and then, it, then we got the Ataris and we got all those computers. And so our generation saw that you can manipulate the system and we were the very last to see it. So once again, this is why it's so critical what you're doing gets louder and louder and bigger and bigger because that knowledge will yeah. go away. What com- what comes after us is the system is closed. You're given a mouse. You look through a screen and you interact with data instead of manipulating the machine itself. And so that difference is dramatic and that places guys like you who can organize people and guys like me that can talk about it we're of high value to young people who will be subjugated by a system they don't understand is manipulatable yeah, and, and i think and, that it's it's important i mean i i think it's important it's important to explore to meet these people where they are using the, those media but also and this is going to be an uphill battle, but trying to, I mean, because you come across as, you know, in my day we used to, but I think it's really important. I mean, part of the meaning of, of the word based and based con is it's based in reality. Um, and there is value in getting out and going in. I mean, I tried to grow a garden this year, the first time in Michigan. It's different than in California, where if you keep something wet in California, it will grow. Um, if you just have enough water, it's fine because there's so much sunshine. 
in Michigan, I, my garden was a disaster. I mean, to the, to the, to the point where I can hardly believe, like I decided what I'm doing is just growing random non-edible plants because that's now I'm successful in it because I have this huge, I have like these five feet weeds coming out of my garden. It's just completely overtaken. And you can write a story about somebody, you know, gardening, but until you go out and try to grow a garden, you have no idea. I um, mean, there's a, a thousand things like that. You know, there's you know, whatever sword making or book binding or, you know, house building. Um, and there's a there's real value in in um, engaging with the world on its terms and and um, not being solely inside this, you know, this box that this world that someone else has created because you, we fool ourselves into thinking, Oh, I have control now because I have, I can, I can control, I can, you know, program it or it responds to me the way, well, it's, it's responding the way it's, it's programmed to do that. Someone else has programmed, someone else has built those algorithms. Um, Whereas, you know, the real world is remains the real world. And at some point it's going to reassert if we keep ignoring it, it's going to reassert itself. I mean, there's a whole it's it's scary to me. Again, I'm coming across as an old fogey, but it's scary to me that we have the whole a world of people. We have these people, these young people who identify as socialists or whatever, because they have they have this sense that something is kind of vaguely wrong about the world. And they've been told that that's capitalism, um, but they don't really they don't see the sausage being made they don't see what goes into um where their food comes from where where their heat comes from in the winter where air conditioning comes from and so then they they're very detached from the world and they kind of think it's this sort of neat little computer program that they can interact with and tweak things um in reality surviving is really hard and a lot of work has gone into making sure that people can survive and if we continue to ignore that and if people if young people grow up thinking oh things are just handed to you and it's a matter of like allocating them you know more you know getting the rich to give us their fair our fair share um you go down that road for a few decades and things are going to get very very bad well, I, I think that writing story, storytelling, is the computer programming of the human mind. And I think that there is nothing more important than stories that build up in the human mind, the ability to think critically and, and always see reality, not lose sight of it. Now, we know what human greed does. It makes people want to fill their pockets with all the gold and turn into the dragon and protect it with their life. That's just, na- that's just what happens. That's nature. But the danger is if people don't understand how to read the programming, that they will, there will be, like you said, 10, 20 years down the line, a generation of people totally detached from humanity. Yeah. And, and, and good writing, I think, is... Yeah, it's it's authentic. I mean, it's based in, in, in a way too. It's it's um, it, we know when something is is false, when it feels wrong, when a character acts in a way that they wouldn't truly act, or the world is depicted in a way that's we know that that's not how things are. And I think that if you look at the corporate entertainment, um, the Marvels and the Star Wars and stuff, they started with a very strong kind of mythic. Um, underpinning and you, you have you know the characters like 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 Peter Parker who was just this kind of ordinary kid who and then he, he learns a valuable lesson about responsibility you have Batman who is you know his parents are killed and and you have Superman who's the sort of you know 
Christ-like Messiah figure and, you know, Star Wars with all its, you know, mythic underpinnings. They had a, a strong basis of that. But as you watch these franchises kind of lurch along and continue, the further along we go, the more it seems like they're getting away from that. And they've they lost the understanding of what why those properties, even calling them properties is kind of gross, but why those those characters, why those stories resonate with some people and they're just churning out product. And I think young people are looking at that and going, something's not right about this because it doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it fits my experience or it doesn't feel like it fits the real world. These characters don't feel real to me. It feels like there's a puppet master in charge who says, I want these characters to do this because we want to teach people a lesson about you know, tolerance or social justice or whatever. Uh, and, and that feels false to people there because they feel like they're being manipulated. It doesn't, the characters don't feel real because you have to allow, you have to allow the story to go where it's going to go. And, and instead we've got, you know, a corporate boardroom and a bunch of, um, social justice people, um, making decisions. Um, and that's to our advantage because we are we tell stories that are at least we try to tell stories that are authentic that that feel real to people and i think that's our advantage that that people if people can find us um writers like me and 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 um the other people who come to basecon if they can if they can find those stories um they're, they're going to resonate with people because they're real well, that's what I do is I try to draw. I'm the cheerleader for for this uh, awareness, this developing awareness that you can find realness amongst it's your very own much artists in your own country. We definitely need voices like that because we have, of course, I'm sure you've seen, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of these publications who say, you know, conserv- why can't conservatives create art? Why don't they, you know, and it's like constantly, then we're, we're over here like, hey, you want to, Right, you could write a story about us. Um, we have a sci-fi convention going on, but I, usually I don't even bother because they they want to do. They have their shtick, which is like conservatives don't create, and why are why are all entertainers liberal and stuff? It's like if all those people put their efforts into something positive rather than just complaining and just and were to like showcase, um, you know, writers who are who are. I, I keep saying like me, but you know, but just based based writers and and. Um, who believe in something who, who are trying to transform the culture, um, you know, we can have a much bigger effect, but some people just want to complain. So, well, that's look, our side, I don't know if you listen to this show, but our, the, our side, I just say, cause I, I tend to be a conservative voter. I always vote for the Republican cause I like my government yeah. small. Um, I don't like it out of control and big and having powers that it should never have. So I always vote Republican and I always have, and that's never changed since I was younger, but I've never been so Republican that I can't tolerate someone else's view, right? The thing that they say about us that we're intolerable, none of that stuff adds up to the reality of basic people I know who are small government minded individuals. And you even said yourself on Twitter that you don't know anyone who's a conservative who literally lives a simple conservative life that watches Fox news. Um, I don't watch any cable news. I don't watch any of that. And then I realized that this is yeah. a projection put upon the easiest yeah. target because it's, it's, you know, people far from power, people who traditionally are just like Batman. Awesome. I'll go see the new Batman. And then next, you know, slowly Batman starts to attack who they are, you know, over time. And so it's just easy target, but 
that thing that they did by going totally woke, by closing the door, by uh, the way you described people saying this doesn't add up to reality, I see that as a crack down mm-hmm. the wall. Yeah. And, and we're and now we have to just start yeah. prying that crack open and and eroding it one by one, little by little. You know, with as many of you and me and of Trevor's and all the young people out there that can spend their time doing this stuff, soon that whole wall comes crumbling down, and that bored audience will suddenly say, you know, that song they're playing on the other side of the wall over there is beautiful and it's music to my ears because it yeah, sounds real. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, that, that's a perfect metaphor that, that, that it's, it's a crack and, and, um, and we're, we're coming through. Um, and people, it's, it's, again, it's hard for people to find us because a lot of people don't read and, the, and it's, it's the medium that a lot of us focus on is, is writing and it's obviously a lot harder to get, you know, people together for, to get the budget to, to, to make a movie or TV show or, or anything like that. Um, but that's going to happen too. And it is happening. Um, and it's going to happen more and more and you're going to have, it's going to be a, it's going to be a process. It's going to take years. Um, but I guess the, the good news is that I don't see like Hollywood, um, reversing course or trying to fix this anytime soon. It's going to, it's going to be a long time, um, for them to, to realize what is happening to, and to fix this rot, um, that's in the enter- entertainment industry, um, and that gives us a big window um, to to push through and to come up with some new stuff and um, take the take the focus away from Hollywood and put it on people who uh, have have real stories to tell. Well, let me just say something about books because I want to. I just I have to correct you on this. Uh, I had a successful screenwriting career. I had a movie made. I've sold to multiple studios. I've been hired to write things. I chose to follow your path of becoming a self-published author because every great movie, every great property, every great story is licensed yeah, from a book. Yeah, that's true. That's a very that's a very good point because so it's so the the the, the least valuable thing for uh, us is yeah. film and television. The most valuable thing yeah. is the book. Now, the challenge is, as a community that's growing exponentially, and podcast listeners, and what you're doing, and mindset awareness, and sharing all this stuff, we have to start turning these books into hits. Then Disney comes and says, why is that a hit? And then they buy it, and it's in the, then it's in line. And then it gets into the system. That's the gameplay. Uh, so it's it's way more important to do a book than it is. Don't have stupid fantasies about film and television. Leave that to the greedy people who make film and television, and, and they know how to turn those intellectual properties into things that fill their pockets and give them Mercedes and cars and pools and prostitutes. Let them have that. What we have to do is plant these little intellectual property seeds so the tree gets harvested by the system, and then before you know it, there's a whole different culture that's coming out of Hollywood, but you can't do it backwards. You have to start with the written word and they value that too. Now I also know, and I'm sure, you know, our government is supporting what we do. They've made it very easy to register your material with the library of Congress. It's very easy to publish your book. And I want to tell you, I don't know if you're aware, but Ingram spark defeats Amazon. You should use Ingram Smart, Spark okay. next time. It's the official, legitimate, global publisher. I published Omim through it to try it uh, this one time, and it was worth every penny. It's on. It can be. It can be stocked in bookstores around the world. 
It can be stocked anywhere. They distribute into Target, all, you know, physical bookstores. It shows up faster than any Amazon search. KDP is not to be used. Go into Ingram Sparks, uh, legitimate option for independent uh, publishers and you're you're golden at that point is it's identical and they have different bindings and all that so the critical importance of what you have which is a library of intellectual property you've you've created for anybody listening to this podcast that is inspired that's the life that's the work that needs to be done to change the culture you won't change it by making one no. great movie you won't change it by making one TV series you won't change it with a meme but you'll change it if you write 25 books and two of them become a cool cartoon a few years from now that changes the culture yeah it's it's very much um, you're kind of at the, the far end of the, the lever with, with, with writing where you have the you don't necessarily see um, the results but you're definitely in a position to affect the culture more than more than anything else like you said like, I mean going back to Philip Dick again I mean this is a guy who um, just a random guy in California writing just a bunch of weird stuff and didn't have a lot of ex- success until the very end of his career um, or or after I mean most most of his success has come afterwards but he's had a, a huge uh, impact with with his, he, he had a, like there's basically a kind of Philip Dick kind of sort of genre of of movie now um, just because he put he put words on on paper um, and um, yeah I mean. And his, his and his abstractions and his weird ideas oh, show up yeah, in the everywhere. culture later. It's everywhere, and you don't even you don't even know it just because the, just the whole the idea of the yeah the the, the paranoia and the um and the you know not knowing what's real and all this stuff. His ideas come out in you know like movies like The Matrix and stuff that are hugely um, influenced by by Philip Dick and um, all over the place. And that's why that's why. I, and that's why I rail against uh, what our side does politically because. You should be given a spot to talk about your work on television. You should be promoted. Artists should be promoted by the right if they really want to have a reach into the audience's emotions and make them desire policies that are better for everybody, that preserve everyone's freedom, that bring people back down to that based reality. And so we don't do that on our side. So that's my big push is getting the audience to be aware that it's their job to help turn intellectual property into valuable intellectual property that then becomes TV series and movies and changes the culture. But also the people on our side need to be told, listen, if you're not going to promote independent artists and you're not going to even lift a finger to help, you know, a guy who's got the right story going and it promotes the right values, you're not even going to lift a finger to help him. Then why should we pay attention to your show anymore? So our side has it all backwards. The left has the culture and they get all the benefits of the culture and we have just politics. And then we have, we have guys like you and movements like yours and, and people that are subverted from the audience knowing they exist. And that's the big challenge that we got to change together. So I, I feel really glad that I'm, talking to you today and that you're in this fight and you've done so much and i feel like that man the better days they're definitely coming because i feel it i mean there's been a big change i think in the last few years because of of being so shut out of the culture um i mean it was it was a it was an eye-opening experience for me because i was like i said i got picked up by amazon for my my book was published and so i met a whole bunch of other authors um authors and publishing people and i went out to I, they flew me out to new york a couple of times and went to we went to, to um 
I can't remember the name. It doesn't matter. Big publishing event. Um, and so I, I met a lot of people, made a lot of friends. Um, and then I got kind of sick of the, the, the way that the culture was, was going and started becoming more vocal as far as kind of a conservative libertarian perspective. And guess how many friends I have left from the publishing industry. So it's very... <laughs> they're basically none of them talk to me anymore um and it's not like at the time i was pretty you know i, I wasn't like uh, you know sharing like hitler memes or something it was like pretty much like i don't know about this obamacare kind of thing like i was like very much kind of right. very tepid kind of and that and I, the response to that were just you know not towing the line just the slightest bit just immediately gets you kind of unpersoned um it was I forget where I'm going with this. I think the point is, is that, that um, because we've been so um, brusquely uh, shut out of, of, of the culture, um, that we have had to um, kind of find other people like us and sort of build things like your show and like BasedCon um, because we're like, you know, like I'm, I'm on Twitter, like going, I'm not, am I crazy? Am I, you know, and then like, no, people are like, other people are like, no, 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 we see the same thing. And so I just, the last, you know, three, five years, I've met, uh, so many just other authors, uh, novelists and, and artists, uh, you know, comic book people, um, and people in other, um, other industries and, and people who, who just, who see what's happening and are interested in, in, um, in fiction and understand the power of, of storytelling and the culture and they want to support it, you know, p- people who are lawyers or software developers or whatever. So I've connected with, with all these people and we're, we're building kind of a, a movement very quietly, but it's slowly growing. Um, and because we've been so, been so shut out, we've had to do it on our own and it's a powerful thing and it's going to keep growing. And I've definitely seen it. Oh, I think the dam, yeah, I think the dam broke when what is it, Brian Sanderson, when he raised oh, yeah, a million? Yeah, yeah. Brandon Sanderson, yeah. I think that the dam broke, and I know that you just had a very successful Kickstarter that went kind of above what you were expecting. So I I feel like it definitely changed and we're we have the wind at our back now, even though it's just a slight breeze, it's definitely happening. And it's so important that people who listen to this that are not creators really spend time having an awareness that the the things you consume as entertainment are going to show back up in the culture. It's been proven over and over and over again. You start seeing it on TV shows, very short road to where it happens in your kid's school. It doesn't happen the reverse. There's no rebels figuring shit out. Nobody's figuring out the style. Every, I go to I drop off my daughter at school and I see characters from the narrative. I don't see kids who are, who are acting, uh, you know, authentic in their rebellion. I see people who have backed into predetermined characteristics and wardrobes that have been sold to them. And so we have that power as as writers and, and that power is going to grow and grow. The more the audience realizes they have a, a choice that's local, sustainable, and and not asking for much because you're not, you don't have five Ferraris in your driveway that you're Only worried three about. And a half. You're worried about telling three and a yeah. half, and you're worried about telling great stories and growing the movement. So, um, and I hope I hope to, and I will come to BaseCon next year. Yes. I wanted to come this year, but my daughter had some things with golf, and the timing just didn't work out. Uh, but with that said, um, I'm pleased you've been on the show, and. And I think that people who listen to this episode are going to hear some some insights that maybe they hear when they come to the conference. 
But if they hear it on the show, they can they can dwell on it a little bit and realize that this is the real battle we got to fight and we got to support each yeah. other. So I appreciate Thank you. you. And I appreciate you too. And, and since you mentioned my Kickstarter, it's actually still going on right now. This is my, uh, it's called the cross time crusade. It's a, it's a series of books that I'm, that I'm starting and it's about, uh, well, it's about the, I call, I say it's about the three T's time, Templars, time travel and telepathy. So it's a very weird kind of uh, sci-fi mixture of things. And it, it's, our goal was fifteen thousand dollars, and we were at seventeen thousand six hundred and fifty right now. So we're getting close to eighteen thousand, which is fantastic because um, that allows me to basically write for another year. If I if I get if I can hit twenty thousand or so, I would be very happy um, because it's that's a significant um, chunk of my my income for the year. And you know, any little bit helps if you want to just pledge to get the eBooks or whatever. That's that's fantastic. Um, it does not. If you're a person who is a, like I said, a, a lawyer or a software developer or engineer or, or a doctor or whatever, and you don't have a creative bone in your body, but you want to um, support artists, if if you want to make a difference in the culture, again, this is we're we're kind of the lever behind the culture. Um, and, a, a, you know, a hundred dollars or $200 or whatever to a, a, my Kickstarter campaign makes a huge difference. Um, if we have a few more people doing that and I'm, I'm, I'm hugely, um, grateful to, to the people who have already supported, uh, me because, because, you know, to you, it may, it may not seem like a lot of money, but for somebody who's trying to make a living selling books, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, and I'm going to keep doing it one way or another, but it definitely will make it, makes it easier if I, if I have some support. Um, so the cross time crusade on, on Kickstarter and, um, my personal website is badnovelist.com and th- that has information on the cross time crusade there. And also, um, BasedCon, BasedCon.com. Um, we're going to have the, I'm gonna be announcing the, the date and venue for BasedCon next year um, in the next probably couple of weeks. We're getting close to making a decision on that. And so people can register for BasedCon. And the earlier people register for BasedCon, the, the less uh, hair that I lose and <laughs> trying to figure this stuff out. So that's much appreciated as well. Well, I noticed that when you have a Kickstarter, you give your fans a lot for their investment and you have all these different tiers and that's the way people do it. It's a community garden. Everybody can pitch in a little bit of money and you can make it easier. It's, it's really the, the most important critical work is the creation of fresh intellectual property that has weaving throughout it something that is based in the reality that is what BaseCon is all about. So Robert Cruzy. Thank you so much for coming on the Sub Pop Cult podcast, sharing your know-how, your journey, uh, your plans, your dreams, your dramas, and the things that are going to be happening in, in this chapter of your life, because you're not an old man, you're a young guy, and you have a lot ahead of you, and you have a lot of people who are inspired by you, myself included, and so I look forward to seeing you in real life and continuing this conversation over uh uh, beer, coffee, whatever your well, choice. Let's do it. You definitely need to come out to BaseCon if you can make it work, and we'll we'll, we'll hang out. It's a it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. So, but yeah, I appreciate you come uh, having me on the show, and uh, and uh, good talking to you. Say, so, you like mystery stories? Well, we have one for you. The concept relativity. That strange, fantastic relationship between time, distance, and math. 
Before we're finished, I think you'll agree that truth is stranger than the strangest fiction. Why do the stars shine? Why does the galaxy light up? A equals MC squared. That is the engine that lights up the stars. Energy turns into mass. A equals MC squared. That is the secret of the stars. That is the secret of the stars. Now listen carefully. The faster you move, the heavier you get. The energy of motion turns into m, your mass. Energy of motion. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Speed of light squared. An awful lot of energy for a tiny amount of mass. Light travels at the same speed, no matter how you look at it. No matter how, no matter how I move relative to you, light travels at the same speed. No matter who is doing the measurement. No matter what direction you are moving, the speed of light is the same. The speed of light is the same. No matter what direction or, or how fast. As you travel faster, time slows down. Everything slows down. Everything slows. Time slows down when your time passes at a different rate. Clocks run slow. It's a monumental shift in how we see the world. The beauty, the majesty, the power of the universe into a single equation. MC squared. That is the engine that lights up the stars. Energy turns into mass. E equals MC squared. That is the secret of the stars. It's a beautiful piece of science. It's a beautifully elegant theory. It's a beautiful piece of science. It's a beautiful piece of science. A planet like the Earth is kept in orbit because it follows curves spatial fabric caused by the sun's presence. Space and time are bent by stars and planets. As things move through this curved space, they bend. Now all of this is illustration of the fact that time and space are linked together. Because you're moving through bent and curved space and time. You feel like you feel a force. You feel like you feel a force. As you're moving through bent and curved space and time, you feel like you feel a force. That force is gravity. The beauty, the majesty, the power of the universe into a single equation. E equals mc squared. That is the engine that lights up the stars. Into mass. E equals MC squared. That is the secret of the stars. That is the secret of the stars. That is the secret of the stars. That is the secret of the stars.